me ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. I think today we had maybe as good of, of an example of what our philosophy of worship and music is here at St. Andrews. Uh, we believe that God gifts his church of all ages and that he has given quite wonderful ways to uh, praise him down through the centuries, and he continues to do that. And uh, we had some uh, very ancient uh, songs that we sang, some old hymns, some gospel hymns, and some contemporary. Uh, and uh, we are uh, blessed to know that when we, when we sing in that way, the old and the new, we are professing our belief in uh, the church uh, universal and the church through the ages. We're joining together with them, with our roots and looking to the future. Now, here we are in Mark, and I have to quite honestly say that uh, uh, it's a little bittersweet for me. This is the last message in Mark, and so here some 55 sermons, and I kind of feel like it's, we're getting to the end, you know, when you've read a really good book, and you get down to the end, and in one sense, it's nice to finish it, but in the other sense, it's just kind of sad when you, when you close that book and you, you put it on the shelf. Well, I don't, I don't want you to put Mark on the shelf, but I hope that uh, you've been blessed as I have by looking into Mark in some depth as uh, we have focused on in search of the real Jesus. And how appropriate that uh, we end here with this passage uh, about his coming again, even as we've uh, just sung about. We're going to begin with the 32nd verse in Mark 13. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He, he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for this word from you. We thank you for this gospel. It gives us such 
a, a focused glimpse of our Savior. But Lord, we want more than insights about him. We need to know him better. Some of us here need to know him. And so we pray that you would open hearts, give us a right perspective on his coming again, on what he means to watch. And help us to do that, even as he told everyone to watch. And so we ask for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what would you do if you sat down in your doctor's office and he said, you've got 24 hours to live? I mean other than go for a second opinion right then, okay? What would you do during those 24 hours? Who would you see? What would you say? How would you spend your time? You ever thought of that question? It kind of helps you sort through priorities when you focus upon that kind of a question. What's really important, if I had just a short amount of time. Now, I want to change that question a little bit, and I want you to think about this. How would you spend tomorrow if you knew for certain that Jesus was coming back tomorrow evening? There's similarities there, but it's a slight nuance. If you knew that he was coming back in the evening. I want you to kind of put that on the side burner, and in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you how one of the great saints, he wouldn't want to be called that, but a wonderful believer, answered that question. But first, I want us to take a look at this passage. He, uh, in this passage, begins by emphasizing, in essence, a secret part of his decree. Look at verse 32. He says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, there's a couple of things uh, that we need to notice about this. <coughs> Here is a place where we see uh, Jesus, that although he continued to be fully God, during his time here on this earth, there are some aspects of that 
that he suppressed. He says there is something that he doesn't know. Now, in terms of divine knowledge, we know that God knows everything. So how does this fit in? Well, it fits in with other things that we see about uh, Jesus, uh, where he set aside his glory, where he, Philippians 2, emptied himself. And so there, from his human perspective, there were some things that he would say, in all honesty, that I don't know because he was not only fully God, but fully man. Now, here's the other thing. That also flies in the face of those who predict the precise date of when Jesus is coming back. Maybe you've uh, seen periodically a book will come out, and it will give a date. It will say, Jesus is returning such and such a date. And they give it far enough out. It's usually not too far out, but it's far enough out to where they can get sufficient book sales because once it passes that date, then, you know, no people don't buy those books. But those books come out periodically. They will come out again. Jesus will return such and such a date. But the, here he says, no, that's not the case. In fact... When somebody gives a date, I usually think to myself, well, that's a date he won't be coming back. <laughs> Although one of these times somebody's going to guess it, I will say that. I mean, if you predict every day that uh, he's coming back, somebody's going to be right at some point. But uh, I just have to wonder whether it's going to be one of those uh, where somebody has profited uh, off of these books. Now, here's the question, though. Why would he make it a secret? just tell us when, and maybe even exactly when, as some people have suggested that he has. Well, it's because if we knew the date, say, for instance, July 1st, 2010, we wouldn't do what he said here. We wouldn't watch. We wouldn't be alert. We would be waiting. And that's it. And he's got other plans for us. And it's not just to sit around waiting. There were those even in the first century that felt he was coming so soon that they should just stop doing everything. In fact, he addresses that in 2 Thessalonians. There were some people that quit working, and uh, Paul said, look, if they don't work, don't let them eat. That was the surest way for them to go back to work, because evidently some people were just, you know, thinking, well, maybe they're right, we'll, we'll feed them, we'll let them go on, and people were sitting around being very pious and waiting for that time when Jesus would return. And he says, no, uh, being idle is not what you are to do. I'm convinced that's why it's a secret. We wouldn't handle it right. 
we wouldn't be alert. We wouldn't be about his business if we knew exactly when he would return. If, uh, you know, we knew it was uh, one year from this July or this July, it, it would change everything in a negative way. So as always, he does what's best for us. Now, he then talks about our response to his secret decree. Look at verse 33. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Now, this is the fourth time in just this passage where Jesus tells the disciples to be alert uh, or to keep watch, uh, verses 5, 9, 23, and here. He says that again and again. Now, um, <clears throat> although here it was spread over two different sermons, if you picture all in one sitting, you hear this point coming again and again, four times. Uh, you, you would get it. You would hear that. Uh, it would jump out at you. The disciples had been asking when these prophecies would take place. And they should have been far more concerned about how to spend their time properly, spend their time rightly. When our children were small, we would often, well, at least a, a couple times of a year, take trips uh, to where our family lived. Now, our family lived in St. Louis most of the time when they were growing up. We had four children. We'd pile them in the van, usually at, uh, at night, and we'd either be, uh, for a while, we were up in western Pennsylvania, and uh, then for a long time in Atlanta. Uh, you get four children in a van, you leave from the south side of Atlanta, and typically we would not be out of Atlanta before, you know what I'm going to say, before they, somebody would say, well, how much longer? One time we were not even to the highway. You know, we, we hadn't even gotten to the highway yet, and one of them said how much longer we'd been in the car, like seven minutes. Now, here's the thing. If I had said when they asked me, you know, when they held out longer and we were like on the north end of Atlanta coming from the south end, so, you know, we'd been in the car 45 minutes. If I had said, oh, uh, we've just got uh, 11 uh, hours and 15 minutes left, that's all. That wouldn't have been real helpful for them. Instead, when they would ask, usually we would, we would either say, well, why don't you look out the window, or let's play a game, or why don't you look at the books that you've got, or in later years it would be, well, let's put in a movie, and uh, we would usually have you know, plenty of hours of movies for them to watch. And one of the reasons we traveled at night is because they would eventually fall asleep. We were trying to get them to focus on the things at hand rather than the end because that end seemed like it would never get there. If all we had done 
Oh, we got 11 hours and two minutes now. How much longer? Uh, 10 hours and 58 minutes now, you know. And that wouldn't have been helpful. Now here, Jesus is refocusing them. You know, instead of emphasizing at what moment, he in essence says, it could be any moment, but you need to be doing some things in the meantime as we head toward that moment. Now, he illustrates it with what I think is uh, kind of a mini parable down in verse 34. And he's talking about the importance of being ready. He said, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Now, let's break that down a little bit. Uh, uh, this is one reason why I'm, I'm a little hesitant in terms of it being a parable, because uh, with a parable, you don't want to press every detail. It usually has one big message. But in this case, there are several things that I think he's trying to get across in, in this illustration, at least, uh, whether or not it's a, technically a, a parable. He starts out by saying he leaves his house. He talks about his house. That's the first emphasis. Now, if we compare his house to his church, I believe we have an essential principle too often we act as if it's our house in the church and in the, the church at large. And that it's all about us and it's all about what we want and it's all about what we can do. His emphasis is, look, when I went away, I left my. He made that clear in his teaching. Remember he said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you will build my church. And he didn't say, I will build your church. He said, I will build my so he begins this parable with that as the emphasis. And that's important because then we see it has to do with stewardship. In other words, it's not about us keeping up our own things, but we are keeping something for another. And it's for him till he comes back. It says, and he puts his servants in charge. That's the stewardship each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Now, what, what are our assigned tasks? Well, he's given an overall task to the church, but he has given us as individuals tasks that we are to be doing, and it's not the same for everybody. That's what we call spiritual gifts and calling. And so he who owns the house 
has figured out what the best way to take care of that house is, and he has doled out assignments, and not just assignments, you need to do this, but you need to do this. I am equipping you to do this by giving you the ability to do that, and that's what we call spiritual gifts. And so he leaves them in charge, each with his assigned task. Now, how's that going to apply to us? Remember my first question? Not actually the second question, not the one about if you had 24 hours to live. But what if Jesus were to return tomorrow evening? John Wesley was asked that question. Now, it was when John Wesley was traveling around and he was preaching numerous times every day and so on, and someone asked out of curiosity what I think is a good theological question, if Jesus was going to return tomorrow evening, Mr. Wesley, what would you do tomorrow? Well, Wesley took out his diary. Uh, That's his day timer. But for him, it was a diary. He took out his diary, and he looked at his various engagements for tomorrow, and he said, that's what I would do tomorrow. He had such a sense of his calling, of his task, of what God wanted him to do, that he was in essence living every day as if Jesus would come back tomorrow evening. Now that was convicting to me. And I took out my day timer and I looked. And I wondered, would I really say that? I'm convinced though that's how he wants us to live before the face of God as if he were coming back tomorrow evening. That's what it means to be always before him, to be always ready. Now that's as the individuals. Let's look at the bigger picture. When our task is a a, a church. What is that task? What did he leave for his house to be about? Well, I wouldn't for a moment say that our mission statement uh, is equivalent with Scripture, but I do believe that our mission statement reflects what the Scripture says. And I'm comfortable with us Uh, saying that that is our task as a church, to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. And then you combine that with the four pillars of how we are going to accomplish that through teaching, outreach, worship, and serving. If we do those things, I believe we are on watch, we are on alert. We are doing what we need to be doing as Jesus is on his way back. Now, 
just breaking that down a little bit. Helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ. It's about the relationship with Christ. Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with those around us. To love him more, being equipped to love him more, that's discipleship, that's worship, and serve him better, that's the use of our gifts. And then remember we, when we introduced the four pillars, we thought of the four pillars out in front of the church that are so prominent there, and we've reflected that in our, our family center uh, on the signs that are up there in terms of teaching and outreach. Again, focusing on the same things, worship and service. If we do those things diligently, it will keep us absolutely on our toes. Now, why do, we, why do we need to be ready and keep watch? Well, that touches on our accountability. Verse 35 and following. He says this, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. That's why the owner's coming back. Have you ever been in your house, uh, especially, let, let, let me pick on you husbands for a moment. You know, you're home for a weekend, your wife or wife and family need to go out of town. And uh, so you live the way you would live if you didn't have a wife and family. And then you realize, oh, my wife and family are coming back in, an hour. And so what do you do? Well, you try to get your home back the way your wife and family left your home because it's probably not like that. Well, that's, that's the thing. You know, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. You know, you might have been more on your toes if you didn't know when your wife and family was coming back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Now, I'm not adding to Scripture here, but he is saying watch and help others watch. That's our task. Watch and help others. He doesn't want to catch us unready. And that, I think as well as anything, summarizes the message of Mark. Know that we know Christ. That's what it is to watch. That's the first thing. And if we come away from Mark, and we have seen Jesus' encounters with all of these people, and we have really coped with his teaching, and we know a whole lot about Jesus, but we don't have a relationship with him, then we are, as we said in a, a previous sermon, at that point we are still not far from the kingdom, but not in the kingdom. So it begins with that relationship. 
And then beyond that, the message of Mark, be a disciple. This is sometimes called the servant gospel because we see Jesus as a servant, but calling us in that way as well. And then to make disciples as he calls us in every one of the gospels. He left us with the commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's our calling and to be ready for him. Robbie Robbins was uh, an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq war. He and his crew had completed their 300th mission. Things were winding down. They were quickly pulling people back. And they told him after his 300th mission, you can head home. So he got his crew together, and as quickly as he could, they got a flight, flew across the ocean, landed in Massachusetts, began the long drive to his house, which was in western Pennsylvania. So they drove all night. He was anxious to surprise his family. Nobody had even called home to tell him that he was coming. He got there just after sunup, and on the front of his house, there was a sign that said, Welcome home, Dad. Couldn't figure it out. How'd they know? So he went inside. He found his children kind of sleepy, but half-dressed, getting ready for school. They jumped on him. We're enjoying him. And his wife came down the hallway, makeup on, hair fixed, in a crisp yellow dress. And to him, she looked wonderful. After things settled down, he said, uh, How'd you know? Nobody called ahead. She said, I didn't. But once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days and you'd want to surprise us. So we wanted to be ready for you. May we be ready for our Savior who has said, be alert. It could be any time. Keep watch. Let's bow together.